Welcome everybody to our program today. And uh, listen, we have a really a great one for you. And uh, I wanna thank everybody that I was able to meet at Billy Crone's conference that he had over the weekend out there in the Las Vegas area of Nevada. And uh, listen, another fantastic conference is coming up this Saturday and Sunday. I hope that y'all can make it. Whoever's in the area, it's in Bakersfield at Brandon Holt House at the church that he pastors. It's both Saturday and Sunday. You can check out the information. We have it here at hopeforourtimes.com. And if you can't make it in person, it is live streamed. And with the live stream, just so y'all know, the proceeds from the, the event itself, uh, all of the proceeds are gonna go to one of the uh, organizations that Brandon is helping to sponsor that's over in Israel that reaches out to the soldiers and uh, helps them out. It's a great opportunity to do something good and get a great conference at the same time. So check it out at hopeforourtimes.com. Uh, you can go there and see the event coming up uh, this weekend with Brandon Holthouse. Uh, tomorrow, my guest is Andy Woods, and Wednesday on the app exclusive is Alex Newman. So Alex will be able to talk about all the things he else wants to talk about. So it's going to be a terrific time. Also, Alex is going to be joining me on the uh, cruise coming up in June uh, with uh, Jeff Kinley and, and uh, Dr. David Reagan. And that's going to be a, an absolutely terrific time also uh, for whoever's going to be able to join us there. All right. Are we ready to roll? I'd like to introduce you to my guest. You already know who he is, uh, John Howler, and he is a lawyer and a teacher known for his weekly prophecy updates. One of my all-time favorites to listen to because he has so much to share. Uh, he's been a trial lawyer for almost 40 years. I'm only 40 years old. Well, that's not true. But he's been a trial lawyer for almost 40 years. That's a long time. Uh, John was also the pastor of Fellowship, a pastor of Fellowship uh, Bible Chapel in Columbus, Ohio. And his video updates are available on the FBC YouTube channel and cover Bible prophecy, news, discernment, apologetics, and worldview issues, as you guys already know, almost all of you have already uh, gotten to watch his videos and connected with John. So John, uh, great to have you here. Thank you for joining me today. Always good to be with you, Tom. It is always wonderful to have you on. I know I tell you that every time. You don't always believe me, but it absolutely is true. Yeah, it's a shame though that, you know, at this particular time, we don't have too much to talk about. Yeah, almost nothing, <laughs> almost nothing to talk. By the way, everyone, if you would hear something free, we could really use your help with both John's YouTube channel and ours here at Hope For Our Times um, to like and uh, subscribe and also click on the notifications. It might not sound like a big deal for any of those, but it really is a big deal because of the way the algorithms work for you or against you. So. Uh, liking, subscribing, and clicking on the notifications is a very is a very helpful for uh, both John's YouTube channel and ours also. So thank you all for joining us, John. So much to talk about. I mean, a lot to talk about. So everybody, you know, we're going to be talking about Israel. However, there's a lot of other things going on that people aren't talking about yet. I mean, they've forgotten about them. So I'm going to ask you. I'm going to throw this one out to you first. And this is Bill Gates, right? Bill Gates is still here, everybody. He hasn't gone away. Um, not on the front pages because of all the events in Gaza. But uh, Bill Gates says digital IDs will be mandatory to participate in society. We students of Bible prophecy know that's coming. However, they're talking about it, and it's coming. It's behind the scenes. like we pull back the curtain from the war and... Voila, here's Bill Gates and digital IDs pressing forward. Right. Yeah, so during the Charlie Vector 019er days, since we're on YouTube, I'll use the code language. Uh, Gates Foundation, they they have a digital ID, and I can't remember the name of the uh, thing that they that they call it. But they're trying to get a digital ID for everybody in the world. I think that what people need to realize, though, that with respect to us in the West, we probably already have a digital ID. What the Gates Foundation was trying to do was to try to bring in 
the last one or two billion people on the planet that they're not able to digitally ID yet. And that would be, you know, usually sub-Saharan Africa, Central Africa and those places that don't have tremendous internets. Although having talked to some people in Africa, we, our church helps sponsor some things in Malawi, which is a pretty poor country, but everybody in Malawi has a cell phone. Everybody, you know, all these people have cell phones over there because it's too expensive to put up, they put up a cell phone tower as opposed to wiring the whole country, hardwiring the whole country. So everybody's got a cell phone, but through the cell phones and data that is collected, it's, I think everybody really has a digital ID. And over the years, we've seen certain manifestations of that. If you remember in the early days of the Charlie Vector 019er situation, the New York Times, even the New York Times published things where they were concerned about privacy. And what they did was they tracked people to spring break. They bought the cell phone data and they were able to then create a heat map where they could show people in green or bright green where they were tracking them from the cell phone data that they obtained. And this data is everywhere. I mentioned this almost every time we talk, 20 minutes from my house in New Albany, Ohio, Google spent probably four or $5 billion building server farms, Amazon's in the multi-billions. They just another, putting up another three buildings to house servers for Amazon, that's 1.5 billion. There's a data company I never heard of that's spending one and a half to $2 billion. And Facebook has these giant buildings that are as, as long as the Empire State Building is, is tall. They're 1,200 feet long, six of them so far. Some And they're refurbishing the early ones that opened in 2019 because they're obsolete. But all these buildings and these servers are to, are to analyze our data. And you're going to see this grow as we get into this artificial generative intelligence like the XAI that uh, Elon Musk and his company just rolled out over the weekend and is making available. You can get on a wait list <clears throat> if you're a verified user on 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 Twitter or X. Uh, you can get on the wait list to be to test out their generative artificial intelligence. And he says it's way beyond anything that we've seen so far. And remember, was it was just the end of November last year that ChatGPT was rolled out to the public. So we've seen this tremendous explosion of all of this data. And as I said, there are these server farms and data centers all over the country. I think Google has about 28 of them worldwide. And they just store data. They need all of these computers to store the little tiny bits and bytes of our information. And you can buy the data. So let me give you a real world example. Now, I was listening to an interview the other day with Eric Prince. Eric Prince is the founder and CEO of Blackwater. So he's a billionaire. And you know you can criticize him. He's a neocon. He's pro-war because he's made money off war and all that. And, and that's fine. I mean, I, I get that criticism. But he also had something to say with respect to Gaza and the attack into Israel. And this was very interesting because like you, and I know you've talked to David Tao and others, is how did Israel miss this? How were they, and then how were the Hamas able to be so effective in their attack into Southern Israel? And so Eric talked about it, and I have had this verified to me from other data people that I have talked to, is that Persia, and I always call it Persia, Iran, who really is behind this operation, and they're very intelligent, they're very tech savvy. They had bought, they acquired cell phone data. I I had speculated that, remember the, I can't remember the name of the Israeli company software that was put on phones of people to track them. Mm -hmm. Like the guy yeah. who's the, the head of Dubai tracked his daughter on a private yacht out in the Indian ocean with it's like Pegasus software or something like that. I think it was called. And I suspected that maybe they had pirated that, but Eric Prince said in his article was they just got the available data, just like Russia used this in Ukraine. What they did was they couldn't get the data. They couldn't get the locating data for the soldiers in the field. 
But what they were able to do was they were able to acquire the cell phones, the phone numbers of their parents and loved ones. They then called those things and say, hey, we hear your son's in trouble. Have you checked on him lately? And they started calling their relatives in the field, their soldiers in the field. Moscow, Russia then took that data and used it to target people. This is what the, I think, good speculation and analysis is with regard to Gaza right now, is that all of this digital identification information was acquired by Iran and Hamas. Somebody, somebody in Jerusalem, a good friend, sent me a video of these soldiers being attacked at a base. They, they were filming it. And the soldiers were like, how is this happening? How do they know where we are? And the reports that I've heard coming back from people there are, it was, they killed several hundred soldiers on those small bases down there along Gaza. And, and they may have done that hours before the major breaches is now the thinking, but they knew where they were. They knew how to get into homes in the individual kibbutzes. They knew which doors were unlocked. And how did they do that? They had taken the data that shows the movement, not necessarily the precise identifying information, but it shows the movement within the kibbutz. And they could look at a door where the people just moved through without pausing to unlock it. And then they put that on the maps that they gave to the to the Hamas guys, and they knew exactly where to go in the kibbutz. They knew exactly where the soldiers were, not necessarily the individual soldiers, but then they also had analyzed months of data where they knew that on a Shabbat around a holiday, there might only be this many here. And this was a holiday, a, a festival Shabbat, Sukkot, and, a, and a, a regular Shabbat as well. And so they were able to determine where these soldiers were and how many of them were and were able to put enough people there to overwhelm them. It was, a, I think, I know I get in trouble with some of my Israeli friends. I think it was a masterfully planned, highly sophisticated operation that was done. It was, uh, uh, it, it was above the pay grade of Hamas though. You know, yeah, I mean, so sure, they had help they, and they just had soldiers that, that did it, but the, I mean, look, yeah. Hamas had gone dark for about two and a half years as they sort of led people to believe. And then, so there was a psychological part of the operation too. They led people to believe, oh yeah, we've kind of given up on all that. We're really about peace. We really want to govern Gaza in a good way. Would you help us out? Would you let our people come into Israel to work? Not knowing that a lot of those people that came in were part of the citizens and it was, it was a couple thousand Hamas, but it was about 2,500 Gazan citizens that came into Israel that day to attack people. And a lot of them were people that were coming across each day to work in Israel on farms, factories, other places. And they knew where they, for example, they knew how to use drones to take out the main communications hubs. So, I was, so in, I was in Starot. In May, mm -hmm. when Isla it was Islamic Jihad, not Hamas, who who had launched rockets when we were down there, and we drove through the streets of Strot, and they're building homes and you know going mm -hmm. on with business as usual. I mean, bomb shelters were everywhere, but you could see the workers. A lot of the workers were um, were Arab workers from Gaza, mm -hmm. is what Absolutely. they were. So. We know that they were coming over and working. I do know that now they've gathered the intelligence of uh, to know that some of the workers came over. They mapped out homes also. So you have the cell phone data. You have all the different tracking that's available. You have a, a very sophisticated operation, people going into homes. So they were able to say, this, this many people live in this home. And they're friendly too. So they pose as a friend. And right. so, you know, people basically have their guard down from anything on the ground. It was just the rockets coming above. They run into a bomb shelter, and then they move on with business. Yeah, sometimes you need to ask David Tal because I haven't been able to get an answer to this. Is 
there's been a lot of concern was like, why did the IDF stand down? Why didn't they come in immediately? I mean, the videos are all over the internet out there about this. Yeah. And my question is when the soldiers are told to go into an area, but the area is under the most massive rocket barrage ever in the history of Israel, we're talking like 5,000 rockets in the initial stages of this. Are they just going to have their soldiers running around out there exposed? I, I don't know what the rule is. I, yeah. I don't know how their order. And I, I'd be interested to get an answer on that because I suspect that they're going to be careful because they don't want to lose their soldiers in these rocket attacks. Well, I'm going to ask because when it first started happening, <laughs> when we started getting the news, I was watching a video mm -hmm. and it was, and the caption was, these are Hamas. Uh, and I think it was in Starot is where they were. And you could see them walking, a whole group of probably 20 walking across. And I'm going, there's no way. This has to be, there's no way this could happen without the IDF being there. Well, sure enough, we find out it really was happening and the IDF wasn't there. So I will ask David, I remember asking early on and there weren't really any answers, but you know, they've gathered a lot more information now. So it's a curious thing. And then also... <coughs> Um, the uh, they fired 10,000 rockets mm -hmm. from Gaza. And now we're getting, you know, there's some rockets coming from the north, not very many, some coming from the Houthis in the south, but not very many. I do know there was a missile that was fired from the Houthis. You probably heard about that, right? And right. Uh, it was um, on the trajectory. It wasn't a rocket, it was a missile, so it's in a whole different atmospheric level. And Israel was able to shoot that missile down, which is, I think it's the first time it ever happened, ever. The first time the US, that we know that was in what they consider to be space was shot down. Space. The first time a missile was done. Yeah. Uh, so you look at this and go, man, as we look at the whole escalation of everything. Um, so, I mean, there, there are going to be a lot of investigations and everything. And, and I'm a lawyer. So, and by the way, I've been a, a trial lawyer for over 40 years. Over, um, I said, I said, almost. almost I was wrong. You. Please forgive me. That's okay. No, no, that's okay. I mean, I'm older than. I, I guess I'm just younger than I look. I really am. <laughs> I look younger than I really am, and uh, that's that's what I'm going to go for. And uh, but th there's a lot of things to do. But the point is that this digital data that they can get from all of us, and that they have from all of us and that they can use to track all of us already is out there. So Gates is Gates is just trying to get the, the stragglers, you know, the couple billion, one or two billion people that we really can't get tracked. Then we'll have everybody. Now he wants also goal. to actually identify it, have an identifier on your body. Yeah. And not, I mean, just and a, he, not just a phone. Yeah, and he's talked about the Neuralink thing, and, and he just rolled out his, I don't know if you saw this, this is really creepy. He rolled out his AI thing called X.AI. You can go to the website. And on that, they e talked about or, this. Elon or? Um, Elon Musk okay. rolled out his artificial intelligence company. He was part of OpenAI with Sam Altman at yeah. the beginning, but then he thought Sam was getting too uh, much about the money part and he he just had bigger ideas he wanted to be more altruistic so now you can get xai of course if you're a paying member of twitter that's <laughs> not so, about <laughs> so i guess his altruism has a, yeah. has a price it's eight dollars a month or whatever it is but but you know he was he was in the uk last week and this is kind of all connected too they had a conference called the ai safety conference and he was interviewed a couple of times. He was interviewed by the Prime Minister Sunak of of the UK. And by the way, in the in the interview, Bill Gates' name came up, and he says, "You know, Sunak goes." The Prime Minister goes, "You know, you know, Musk, Elon, uh, Bill Gates thinks highly of you. He thinks you're like the the cat's meow and in artificial intelligence." And it's sort of like, well, I don't know that that's in my world. That's not necessarily a, that's not a compliment. That's an insult. But Musk took it on, and Musk has come out. When remember when he was with Netanyahu and uh, Brockman from OpenAI and um, Max Tegmark, one of the AI founders, they were talking about uh, 
the singularity and Ray Kurzweil, who's with Google, and Musk goes, oh, yeah, I think I think Ray Kurzweil is the important voice to be listening to on this. Well, Kurzweil thinks that the singularity is coming by 2030. Now, he's when the guy in a machine or merge. OK, now you, you told me about him before. He's the guy that originally said like what, 2040 or 2050. 20, yeah, there's updated, a famous time cover from 2011, 2045. Yeah, and then he keeps the updating and becomes immortal. Okay, right. that's, I thought you told me about him. And, so that, and I said a while back that that date was going to be advanced. And then Kurzweil came out a couple months ago and said, I think it's 2030 and we'll probably be able to roll most of it out by 2029. So this is like what wow. you've talked. It's it's exactly what you talked about with with uh, Scott Townsend yeah. uh, last week or whenever that was, and he he said in what Patrick Wood has said. Listen, when when this is ready to go, when the abomination and desolation takes place, the Antichrist and false prophet don't get together and have a meeting and say, hey. Maybe we need to set up a, cl- a crowdfunding thing so we can get exactly. you know a couple hundred billion dollars to do this mark of the beast thing. They're just going to say, okay, go tell the people to flip the switches. And our government, I don't know, it was October 29th or so, we came out, they put out AI safety regulations. And Kamala Harris went to this thing in London where Elon Musk was. Of course, we sent our best and brightest to London to impress people about how great the United States is. We sent Kamala Harris, um, as ridiculous as that might be. But in, in the interview with Musk and some TV, with Sunak and some TV stations, Musk made some interesting comments. He said, this was, this is an existential threat to humanity. Uh, we've never been in a place where we can build something that's smarter than we are and may be able to manipulate the data better than we can. Huh. And we need to put, and I hope we can put some brakes on it. I hope we can put something, an off switch on a humanoid robot so it doesn't kill you or kill us. Well, but then he said, and I'm telling you, Tom, the whole time, and then he says, oh, by the way, go to our website on on uh, November Fourth, we're going to roll out our XAI. So it's X.AI. And when you go there, it talks, it's called Grok, G R O K, which I guess is, um, it's something from this book called A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, while I was watching Elon talking in these interviews, I thought, I don't think he's really convinced that this is going to be safe. And I'm pretty sure, and, and this is the guy who runs SpaceX. And I'm pretty sure when he was done with the interviews and done with the AI safety conference, he went back to his hotel or villa or wherever he was staying and said, um, called up the SpaceX guys and say, how's that plan for the rocket to Mars going? so I can get out of here because, and then they come out with the XAI thing and it's based on, it's modeled after the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. That's what it says. It's, it's called Grok, G-R-O-K. I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about something else. Cause there's some other thing pressing, by the way, before that, did you see the other day where this AI, uh, it, it was, uh, was some test or something like that regarding insider trading. And then the AI lied and said it was never involved in insider trading. Did you see that? <laughs> and I thought that's just like Nancy Pelosi and Diane Feinstein and the rest of them. But uh, Eddie, I got to ask you about I banking. I guess the question is, will AI have to lawyer up at some point? Well, yeah, I mean, but you, you look know? at this, everything you're talking about, you know, what is this going to do? It's going to get out of control. I mean, you can well, totally see that's it. Ex- that's exactly what Scott said when you talked to him. And he said that at the conference. That's one of the yeah. things I remember from San Marcos is Scott's talk. And when he talked about the, and I had talked about it too, the Microsoft analyzed AI and they came up with their conclusion, all these PhDs to justify Microsoft's you know $10 billion investment in AI at the time was that the best thing that AI is good at is deception. And this is a problem. Does this not bring 
to mind what Jesus said yeah. many times in Matthew 24, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, I got you off track, so go back to what no, you wanted to uh, go to. The deception will be over the top. So I, I want to come back to this. And by the way, everybody, the, the interview with Scott Townsend, it's on the app. It was an app exclusive. And uh, so you can't find it on uh, YouTube, but you can find it on the website. It was from about a week or two ago with Scott Townsend. Um, and it was great. So, okay, the banking is a problem. I keep reading and hearing about uh, the big banks, JP, uh, Chase, uh, Wells Fargo, B of A, uh, laying off people. And, what's, and there's, sounds like there's all kinds of issues regarding um, the cyber issues that they're having. And you don't know if it's intentional. You don't know if there's just accidental things, but they're all having them. And I'm hearing, you know, I'm, I'm watching these, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jay, uh, what's his name? Diamond from uh, Jamie Diamond. Uh, Jamie Diamond saying, hey, uh, uh, there's big problems coming. And they're also red flagging accounts too. You know, and so we think of what happened to what's his name? in uh, Nigel Farage over in the UK. Right. Well, we see this happening here. There's a threat that everything's gonna collapse and then they're gonna be coming after your 401ks and everything else that the government will. But we're looking at things and it's starting to get very iffy. And it's right. virtually everyone I hear from says, oh, these are all finance people, not prophecy people, not Bible people, all secular finance people and they're all saying the same thing. 2024 looks like it's going to be a very bad year for the economy. What, what are your thoughts as your... So we're talking, well, let me start on. With regard to Jamie Dimon and Bank of America and that type of thing, they are red flagging accounts like Nigel Farage and others. There's a concern with the banking. If you remember back, it was like four years ago uh, every, um, the, the be all and end all of future companies in terms of working and how people would work was a company called WeWork. And they were worth billions and billions of dollars. If, I mean, if you invested a small amount in, in WeWork at the right time, you would be a multimillionaire. Then that thing with Charlie Vector hit, people started working from home. And yesterday, WeWork filed for bankruptcy because their business model has completely collapsed and it's not working now. And this is also going to reverberate through the real estate, commercial real estate industry, because they're having trouble getting people to be tenants in office buildings because people like working from home. They like working remotely. And if things cut loose with some violence in our cities, which seems to be an increasingly realistic situation, given the, the millions of people pouring over our border that are unvetted, 80% of whom are military age males, there's something going on here. And I, I think that people are trying to collapse the society and people aren't gonna want it. I mean, I've talked to people now that work at major banks in Columbus, they don't want to go downtown. They do not want to go down there to work because they just don't think it's going to be safe. And we saw with the demonstrations and riots that they had on the protests after the George Floyd thing, I went downtown. I was still working at the time, didn't go down very often. I went down every building for two, three stories around the state house in downtown Columbus, my office looked right down on the center of the state house, was boarded up. I mean, if I wanted to go out the front of the big building that I, 40 story building that I was in, I had to go out through the parking garage because the front door was all boarded. It was, it was insane. The front door was boarded up. It, it was crazy. And so all of this stuff is gonna, this has not gotten better. And I talk to commercial bankers all the time, have good friends in that business, and they think that eventually this is gonna cut loose. They've been very careful about how they've sort of kicked the can down the road, but eventually 
you got to pay the piper. It, and when it, that happens, the banking system is going to be in a major world of foot. It's already, it's hurting. China's going through it right now. They just had another major real estate company in the past couple of weeks that announced they were in major financial straits, dire financial straits. So, so with, it's, it's all over the world. It is. And with, with, uh, we work, um, they were the biggest uh, lessee in New York, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They they had a lot of office space all over the country, and all that. So they had a big building in San Francisco. Okay, okay. So from what I understand, it the and that's the problem is, it's not just New York, which alone is enormously problematic for the entire uh, the the entire economy of the nation. Um, but also it's Los Angeles, it's Dallas, it's it's not just blue states, it's anywhere where you have a, a, a good-sized city. It's right. the same problem, and it's not just WeWork, like you said, although I think they're the largest, aren't they? Out of, in the yeah, whole- they were. They were, you know, it, it was kind of a, a different business model on how people would sort of lease temporary office space or pay-as-you-go pay type thing. Okay, so, but it, they can't make it even on a pay-as-you-go basis because there's not enough people that are using their services. Yeah, so you have these huge problems. And then, so um, Xi from China, um, he is, has been meeting with these business leaders in San Francisco. And we just saw mm-hmm. Newsom over in China meeting with him like a week or two ago. And you're looking, but you said <laughs> something to me that What's I Joe Biden's a, bag man now? Yeah, I mean, some, do you see him fall down the stairs? Or <laughs> he can't use Hunter Biden anymore because, you know, so. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, okay, this is what I see. You know, you start putting all of these things together. You you mentioned uh, people being afraid to go into the city, which I get. I, to, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go into any, I don't want anything to do with Los Angeles. It's two hours away. I don't want to have to go there for anything. If I have to go into the city, I don't want to go there, um, and uh, or even sm- smaller cities that are that have that are good size. I'm not interested. But when we look at it from the violence standpoint, you mentioned what happened in Minneapolis. Um, we look at the different riots that we've had. We see what you've what we've been watching over in Israel, and and um, you start looking at the city with at the the. Uh, the whole immigration, terrible, awful immigration policies of this administration, we have the, the millions of people, it was, it was last year, I think, John, it was 1.7 million gotaways in the United States. The problem, I think what's happening with the immigration from Mexico, it's, the concern isn't the Mexicans come from Mexico. I think they're used as almost like a deception to get in everybody else that is sure. that's going to cause the real problems because the, the the majority of the Mexicans that come across are usually wanting to work the majority of them right it's still you know illegal immigration is still really bad I don't support it at all everybody should come in legally but it's it's so everybody's attention on the right hates that stuff but the problem is what they don't see is what's coming around the corner. These guys from these Muslim countries, the guys from the African countries, from the China. guys from further down south, they don't see any of that because we're distracted by the Mexicans coming across. And that's a right. huge problem. How many terrorists, how many bad people have gotten into our country that nobody's paying attention to because the left doesn't want us to see any of it. Well, remember when it was the children, you know, back in, I think this was in the, in the Obama, in the second Obama administration before the third Obama administration started. <laughs> and um, the children were coming. And so I, I got a map. And I think I did this in one of my updates. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's go here to the b- southern border of Mexico. And let's go all the way to the border of Arizona. And that's like, it's like, I don't know, 1,500, 1,800 miles. And these kids, they're walking. That's what they remember. They said that, oh, these kids are walking across Mexico. Young kids, like 12 and under. And I'm like, I remember when I was a kid, we went out one day to walk around Dayton, Ohio with my cousin. I was 10 years old. 
And we said, well, hey, let's walk over here. Well, we didn't know how far it was. And we were gone for like two and a half, three hours. And we figured out, we sort of traced it. We walked like 10 miles. And if you and we thought we were gonna die. I mean, we were 10 years old, you know, we played base, we play all day long, but 10 mile walking 10 miles just about killed us. Well, there's no way. They put these kids on buses and trains and that type of thing and shipping them to the border. And then the question is. Who's funding it? Somebody's paying for it. And we know who's funding it, a large portion of it. And now it's happening on an epic scale. Go follow Michael Yan or Ben Bergwam and some of the other guys who are tracking this stuff down there in the dairy. They, they go through this dairy and gap. And these people go through this jungle and hills and mud and all this stuff for like, I don't know how far it is, 30, 40 miles where there's no road. There's bodies all over the place decaying and everything. Somebody's paying to bring them in. And and it's something is going to happen. I don't know what the trigger is, but my point is if Israel missed it or somebody in Israel decided to allow it, what's going to happen in our country with the people that we have in charge here when they decide to cut this loose? And it's going to be chaos and everything on an epic scale. It'll collapse. I mean, look at what's happening in Israel right now. There, Everybody's evacuated from the South. Originally, they said you might be able to come home in January, back to the Gaza area. Now people are being told it could be three years before they come back. And there's a lot of controversy right now and has been over the last couple of weeks about what does the day after Hamas look like? Let's say they defeat Hamas. Now, what do they do with Gaza? And so there are memos that have been circulated, you know, people thinking that loud about it. Now everybody says, oh, this is what they're going to do. This was the plan all along. And I don't know this was the plan all along, but even Netanyahu has said, we may have to govern Gaza indefinitely. And that's got, That'll get everybody in the world upset and say, oh, see, this was the plan all along to ethnically cleanse. So I I think it's a no-win situation. I think this was going to happen at some point. The other thing that's happening, though, too, you mentioned the construction workers down in the south in Sederot. By the way, I believe that it was in Sederot that they came into the police station and killed 20 policemen that's right where, in the initial. Yeah, it's like when they first started, that's what they did. Right. So then people say, well, the police didn't come. Yeah, they didn't because they were dead. Yeah. That's, you know, it's kind of hard to answer the call. And th that's just the practical. Re and the soldiers didn't come down there because they, in large part, were dead, too. So and the rockets are flying. And so there's there's a whole things that complicate it. And so oh. I'm not having to reach a conclusion yet. But up in Jerusalem, you've been in Jerusalem more recently than I have. I was there. uh down in uh, the area of, of old the old city, and I looked back up across, I think it was down around the city, David, and I looked back up across the Jerusalem downtown and everything that you can see, and I took a picture, and I got home, and I counted, I counted 21 giant construction cranes yeah. in that just that little slice of picture. But all those workers are Arab. The West Bank is closed down now. None of those build, nothing's happening on those buildings. That has an economic cost. Developers have bank loans, that type of thing. They, people have businesses. There's 120,000 people, I think, in the north that have, in the north of Israel, that have evacuated towards, towards evacuated south yeah. towards central Israel. Kiryat Shimona. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know about Naharia. You know, which is just south of where Rosh Hashanah is there on the border. But Kiryat Shimona is up there near Matula. Matula is probably 5,000. Kiryat Shimona is 25,000. And it's like totally empty. Geshrim, Hagoshrim, the whole area there. So you look at all along the confrontation line in the north, all of those, the cities and the kibbutz all evacuated. So when do they go back home? You know, you're saying they're talking three years now. Here's, a, here's another thing that you look at it. You talk about the economy. It's not just the Jews who are going to already starting to suffer because of the economy. But 
all those Arab workers aren't working. All right. So they live in Judea and Samaria, West Bank. They're right. not working anymore. Guess what happens when you're sitting around and all of a sudden you're not working and you've already got this element where you're raised Islamic. And what do you have? You have a huge, you, you have a powder keg that's getting ready to blow up in the Judea and Samaria area. And, you know, when you look at that, it was Caroline Glick. You, you saw the same thing I did where the she said, yeah, where the Israeli intelligence knows that in that area, what the UN and the U.S. calls the West Bank, but Judea and Samaria, in that area, they know that there's an Islamic movement going on to do the exact same thing Hamas did in Gaza, but the problem is they're inside the gates. They're inside this. They're inside the city already. Well, that's the West Bank, which they can close down to some degree. Well, you can I to mean, some degree, it, but look at the Mount of Olives. A, that's in the West Bank, right? You can't well, close Jerusalem. That's a whole. Yeah, you're in Jerusalem. I mean, I, I walked I'll, around the old city in 2017 with my friend Brian. Yeah, you're in Jerusalem. Roger. And as we're walking along the the eastern wall, you know where the gate is, the closed gate is, and the Muslim cemetery. My, I had it on Google Maps, and it kept saying, do you want to cross the border into another country? As it, it kept saying that on Google Maps. That was 2017. Now, it's not another country, but on Google Maps it is because that's where the border was not too long ago. Yeah. So I, I don't know, Tom. I just think that our friend Amir Vivi from the Israeli Defense and Security Forum, who's doing great daily briefings every day almost now, at 10 or 11 o'clock for like, and he's really good at keeping it at 30 minutes, but he has on a lot of different people, but they've done a lot of surveys of, and I think Amir's expertise was in the area of the West Bank. That, that's where he spent his time in the IDF. They've done surveys and Hamas has above 50% support in those areas. And I've talked to people up, in Samaria and that type of thing. And they're Hamas supporters. They hate Mahmoud Abbas. They just, they absolutely hate him with a passion. And they they support Hamas. And they and so what, and you're right, what happens when the economy goes on, you don't have anything else to do. And you get, you start getting angry because the word from the West Bank is that because they can't get into Israel to work in these nice paying construction jobs, they can't find anything. They're having to buy groceries on their credit cards because mm -hmm. they have no money. And that's a powder keg. And then what happens when this kind of explodes in the Arab parts within Israel proper, that's outside what, that, of the right. Palestinian areas? That's another concern. Mm -hmm. That's a powder keg waiting to explode as well. That's where I, that's where I see a, a, a huge problem that can develop out of this that's, that's much worse than they're already dealing with. So you throw in all the narrative that's out there, how awful the, the Jews are, look at all the, I mean, we see the stuff all over CNN, it's all over the mainstream media, we see the anti-Semitism that's at a, a, a rage that we've never witnessed before. Um, and it's, it even, we, you, we have, it seems the majority of churches in America are anti-Israel, so this is what's going to be fed to all the people that are living in those areas that are Muslim. And what do you do? You, 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 you're just creating this really bad environment that's being developed. It, 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 it's a breeding ground for it. Right. Uh, it's, it, it's troubling. And so there's, there's, as we talk a lot about everything, the acceleration and convergence, you know, sort of my two of my things I talk about all the time. It's really happening now. Everything is happening so quickly and so many different things that are prophetically related are happening that quickly, too. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of tension in Israel and a lot of tension between the settlers, what they call the settlers and the Arabs in the areas of the West Bank, you know, the settlements that are what they would say over the green line or over the 67 borders. By the way, I keep saying, look, you wanted to do the 67 borders. 
I would I would agree the 67 borders, not 1967, but 967 BC. I would <laughs> like, go along with those borders. I, I like that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that, but I'll give you credit. That's I'll great. I'll send you a map. I'll send you a map. I, that's great. I love of it. The 967 BC borders. <laughs> okay, John, we've talked about some pretty challenging things today. So, uh, how about some as we wrap things up? How about some words of encouragement? Yeah, let me let me get my uh, where's that streams in the desert book when I need it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, we in in some respects too. My life is I read about all of this, and I see it, but then my life is kind of normal. But we understand that we live at a highly disruptive time. Uh, one of the conferences I did in Scotland this year, somebody said, asked me, the organizer said, hey, what do you think we should do as a theme? And I said, we ought to do a theme like when Jesus was talking to his disciples. At one point he says, you guys should consider yourself blessed because you're living in the days that the prophets long to see. If Jesus was here right now, would he tell us the same thing? You live in the days that the prophets long to see, because when the complete total redemption of Israel and the world and truth, justice, and the prevailing of the righteous reign of Jesus Christ is at the is coming soon, you ought to consider yourself blessed. That doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, I... I get upset. <laughs> we went to a restaurant. We we each got a Reuben sandwich. No drink. It was $32 for two sandwiches. And that bothers me because that's a lot of money <laughs> for sandwich. And but then I have to think that you know, I think of my father who talked about Bible prophecy and he died 33 years ago, 32 years ago. And I keep thinking like, I wonder what dad would be thinking if he was here today. And I think he would be thinking like, you know, buckle up folks. This is the time that the prophets talked about and we know how it ends. And for us, who are redeemed, save people, part of the remnant of God that believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation and him alone, it works out really well for us in the long run. So it's, but it, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult, but think of the opportunities that we will have going forward to tell people this, this has been 12 years ago. One of my partners, she walked in my office, she closed the door, she sat down. And there was a lot of, it was the Arab Spring. And she was sort of paying attention to what's going on. And she came in and she sat down and she looked at me and she goes, uh, is this the end of the world? And I said, well, first, are you sure you want to ask me that question? How long do you have? And that was 12 years ago. So I just think we need to be, we should be people of hope. I re I remember when you used to have a different name for your ministry, right? Yes, I did. Was what End Times TV end, end, or something? End Times TV, and Craig said, "You know what? It needs to be hopeful." So we so that was gosh, what ten years ago? Hope for our times, right? Right. And I remember when you changed that, and I because I went to look for it, and I couldn't find it on YouTube one day, and I. I don't know. I think I may have contacted you or somebody. So what's what's going on? Well, we changed the name. And I think you changed the name for a reason, because there is hope for our times. You know, it's in Jesus Christ. And we can see all of these things. We're not, I don't think we have all the puzzle pieces put together yet, but it's coming. And so let's just pay attention and use it though when people come and say, Hey, what what's going on? What's going on? I mean, Ohio recently. We had a, we enacted in our constitution a pro-abortion amendment, and it may it may also go over to the sex change and transitioning thing that we have problems with because it, it talks about 
we can't deny anybody the right, even a minor, to reproductive services if they want it. Now, people say, oh, well, that's only abortion. Reproductive services has a much broader meaning, and it will be given the broadest meaning possible, I'm afraid. So that, that's Ohio. I mean, that's the middle of the country. Virginia, in the last election, did the same thing. They're, they ran on the abortion issue, the Democrats, and they got both houses of the legislature in Virginia. And Yunkin, Governor Yunkin, was hopeful he'd get at least some control. So, look, there's a lot of things to be concerned about, and it just means we got to. You just can't roll over. You got to fight it. And I don't know if we'll be successful. I know this: Jesus wins. That's that's what I'm I'm sure of. I don't know if I'll be successful in the day to day fights that we have, but I do know our general. He's already won, and he's coming right. back. So we win, and and I love how you just put everything together, and, and we need to be hopeful, and we can't be living down, and we can't be living beat up, and we can't be living in fear. We can face reality, but as you said, we have a message that people need to hear, and they get to hear because, uh, listen, it, this, is, this ends spectacularly well for us. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful um, there are probably other things in my life sometimes that bother me more than the world falling apart. Uh, but, you know, God, consider yourself blessed that God has you here at this time. Amen. I, I love how you just said that right there. John, that was a great, way, a great place to close this on. Thank you so much. Thanks, a reminder, Tom. everybody, tomorrow... Uh, Andy Woods is going to be joining me. And on Wednesday, Alex Newman will be on the app exclusive. Uh, so join us there. Looking forward to you guys. John, thank you for the time today. And make sure everybody really it really does help to get the word out. It's how the algorithms work. If you would like, share, and subscribe John's channel, you see all the info in the description. And also uh, this one too. If you're watching it, just like, share, and subscribe. It's free to do all those things. God bless you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.